Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, we interview inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. I hope you're having an absolutely wonderful day. I'm doing pretty well myself, but I've got so much to talk about, so I'm going to get straight into it. This episode features a conversation between myself, co-host Joe Stewart, and Claire Natley. Claire is a yoga teacher, a prolific writer, and a former president of Yoga Australia. A lot of Claire's professional background is in marketing, and as you'll hear in this episode, her expertise really helped move Yoga Australia forward in this direction under her tenure as president. Now, this December marks the 20-year anniversary of Yoga Australia. The then-named Yoga Teachers Association was established in December 1999 by a group of experienced yoga teachers to ensure that the integrity of yoga is maintained and it is delivered safely. Since then, they've maintained standards which are known as best practice globally. Yoga Australia is strongly supported by a dedicated group of volunteers who are board members, management committee and state coordinators and committees. They have over 3,000 registered teachers, 100 registered therapists, and over 100 registered teacher training courses. As an organisation, Yoga Australia supports and advocates for yoga and yoga professionals. They offer effective management of issues and grievances within the industry and are there to help if you have any issues yourself. So happy 20th anniversary, Yoga Australia. All right, just before our conversation with Claire, I wanted to give a shout out to Kate Peterson, our newest Patreon supporter. Now, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's a way that you can help support the podcast for as little as $1 a month. High tiers get access to bonus content, including a bonus question that we asked Claire during our interview. You can find out more at patreon.com slash flow artist podcast. I'll leave a link in our show notes. All right, let's get into the conversation with Claire Netley. All right, Claire, so good to have you with us today. So good to get the chance to speak with you. Perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about your background and where you grew up. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. So I grew up in the UK. I was born in Salisbury and I was born in a hospital I found out called Oddstock. Oh, wow. That was quite funny. (laughs) Yeah, I was born there. My mum and dad had a pub at the time. And we moved around a lot. I was in Salisbury for a year and then moved all around the country and then got to a stage where I was really tired of the weather and my sister had moved to Australia. So I came over to visit her a few times and then I came over on holiday and did the whole backpacking thing in my 20s and decided to come back and live here. But I knew I wanted to establish my career in London before I made the move. So I moved over when I was 28. I remember reading this massive book that was a fictional series about the entire history of the Salisbury region from Mm -hmm. like the Stone Age up to the modern era. Anyway, that's probably a bit of a (laughs) sidetrack. But it was a very good series of of books. Yeah, Yeah, it's a fascinating place and Stonehenge Mm. is fascinating. Mm. Yeah, it's 
it's beautiful there. It's beautiful. But, yeah, I couldn't tell you much about the history, unfortunately. Fair enough. Well, neither, Ron neither read the can, book well, and he couldn't come up with much. And so one thing I do remember is, like, it had a bit about the creating of Stonehenge and some people basically riding the big, huge stone monolith down it. Yeah, because they rolled them down on lots of logs mm-hmm. and then they just put logs from the back and put them on the front. Ah, oh, yes. wow. Yes, yeah. I remember from do. my visit <laughs> as a child. Anyway, bit of a side Yeah, track. enough Stonehenge. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, that's um, that's where I grew up. And in terms of my work background, it's always been in business and marketing, really, and, and promotional work and events. And I um, started out in the music industry, of all things, in London, and then got into agency work. And then when I moved over here, was back in agency land again. And I'm still working part time in marketing. And so how did yoga become part of your life? Well, I was living and working overseas. I was living in Istanbul at the time and I was sharing a a flat with this girl who had a yoga DVD. It was an Iyengar DVD. And at the time I knew nothing about yoga. And I actually had gone to a class in my 20s that a friend of mine back in London was studying to be a teacher. And I went along to the class and he was studying Shivananda. I did the class and I was like, no, it's not for me. And then when in 2007 I was overseas and shared a house with this girl, there wasn't really much that we could do in the area. There wasn't really anywhere to go. You could go for a walk, but it wasn't like there was a gym nearby or anything. So I started to do this yoga DVD and something clicked. I fell in love with it, absolutely fell in love with it and did it every day. And then I hurt my back and I hurt my back just before I was due to fly back to Australia. And the chiropractor I went to see said to me, I was in the Bahamas at the time, and he said to me, you need to go and stay in an ashram for a few days. There's an ashram nearby. I want you to go and rest. You're not fit to fly. Your back is so bad. He said, so go and stay there and then you can fly in a few days. But I want you to spend a long weekend there. And that was the Shivananda ashram in the Bahamas. And I had no idea what an ashram was. And I was so, I was quite burnt out at the time. And I went there and just spent four days there. And again, something in me just went, there's something in this. And I think it was really that time for myself and to connect back into myself and really just slow down you know it was just it was magical and I was hooked. And so how was your back after a few days of ashram life were you okay to get on the plane? Yeah it was much better but it was a long road a long road of of recovery for my back and and it really sort of showed up again in my training and then I did my SI joint as well during my training which I don't know if you've ever experienced that it's one of the most painful things it is the most painful thing I've ever experienced it was horrendous so it's been and I remember at the time Lee Blaschke saying to me this is wonderful it's going to make you a much better teacher it's going to make you a great teacher and I was like no one wants to hear that at the time in agony but yeah it was again another inroad into more exploration and and really kind of healing so yeah I look at it as a blessing now yeah I learned so much from that experience but yeah now my back is great I still have my days you know but overall it's yeah it's still an area that you're gonna take extra care with like after everything that's happened yeah yeah Yeah. so speaking of your training what led you to actually becoming a, a yoga teacher well when I got back to Australia I was going up to the Satchananda 
ashram. I'd spend time up there and I was going to classes and I was just falling more and more in love with it. And really, I did it for my own personal development. And I wanted to dive more into the philosophy and study it so much more. And I, I just wasn't getting the opportunity to do that in my classes. So it was kind of a natural progression. I never thought I would teach and looked around and found the Academy of Yoga Learning at the Center for Adult Education. And it was a two-year course. And I really liked that. That idea and because uh, it was really thorough and in depth and they talked a lot about you know you need that time to really integrate what you're learning and that really made sense to me so that's how I kind of fell into doing the teacher training and then it just all followed from there. And how did you become involved with Yoga Australia? Well Lee Blaschke again <laughs> he's been a big part of my life so he was one of the teachers on the course he was our philosophy teacher and he was also my mentor and I was working in a very demanding marketing job at the time and Lee I think Lee saw something in me and I think he saw that I'd be able to add value in that respect to the organization. He said, look, would you help? So I started out doing some volunteering and just really helping from a marketing perspective. And I did that for about, I think about six months. And Lee was president at the time. And then he asked me if I would accept a nomination to become vice president. So I said, yeah, sure. It kind of seemed like a natural progression. And I could see that there was things that I could really help with. And I could see areas in which I could add value. So then I became vice president. And then when Lee stepped down, I stepped up into the president role. How does the role of vice president differ from president? I think in the president's role, you're able to perhaps do a little bit more. I think you're able to do a little bit more and perhaps make some more changes. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that when you're the president, you're also much more the face of the organization. Mm -hmm. There's more responsibility Mm -hmm. in that respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was doing a lot more when I became president, was doing a lot more PR work. And that was something that I instigated and there's a reason for that and I'm sure we'll talk about that so yeah it was kind of more of that there was more responsibility naturally but more scope as well to do some of the things that I wanted to do and let's get into the PR work and the Mm. direction that you took there Mm. so what were the reasons one of the things that I think was a barrier for Yoga Australia and probably still is a little bit today is the public awareness around Yoga Australia and the public awareness around the importance of Yoga Australia. I was reflecting on this this morning and thinking how I've been teaching now for seven years and only one person has asked me about my qualifications and whether I was registered with Yoga Australia. And that was last week. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I... I really wanted to build brand awareness for Yoga Australia. And and we didn't have the budget for advertising. We'd advertised for members. We didn't have any kind of budget to advertise to the general public. And I thought, okay, how can we get the message out there and let the public know that we exist and let the public know or inform and educate the public around the questions that they should be asking of their yoga teacher because we don't know what we don't know, right? Yeah. A lot of people come to classes and they don't think about – I was talking to a psychologist about this the other day and 
he was saying, well, yeah, nobody, you know, I've got my qualifications on my wall, but nobody really asks me about them. I've never seen anyone look at them. These aren't questions that people traditionally ask. Who's my yoga teacher and are they qualified? And I think probably the public put all yoga teachers in the one box, so to speak. So I really wanted to raise awareness amongst the public. And if you raise awareness amongst the public about yoga teachers and Yoga Australia and they start asking more questions, then more people, more uh, teachers would be inspired to join the organisation because there would be much more of a requirement for teachers to be part of the organisation. You know, we know at the moment that it's voluntary. So that's where it was one of the things that I did when I became president was said that, you know, I wanted to get a PR agency in to start really being more proactive about communicating our message out and putting it, yeah, just doing a lot more proactive work with the media and letting the media know that we exist and letting the media know about our role. So we hired an agency and they did a great job, but the challenge that we faced, and it was so frustrating, was we'd make ourselves available for interview, but, you know, I'd get questions like, instead of about the association and qualifications, I'd get questions around, I remember one of them was, will yoga make me better in bed? really (laughs) yeah really that's what we're talking about here you know or what pose will help my headache or what pose will it was all these kind of questions and that's just where the public were at that time so that was a little bit frustrating and we tried to combat that and and really try and steer the conversation around yoga teachers and qualifications and I think that is still I think it's still a challenge for Yoga Australia and, and Sham. I spoke to Sham yesterday and we were talking about how the organisation and a lot of yoga teachers, I see this with a lot of yoga teachers, there's this fear of putting themselves out there and promoting themselves and talking about what they do and talking about what their strengths are. And I think it's so important to do that. And I think there's a there's a big fear around marketing I see this really often with teachers fears around marketing fears around money and asking for money and it's something that I really try to shift yeah I'd love to talk to you about that because Mm. I'm actually like pretty comfortable talking about myself and sharing things and putting myself out there but the struggle I have is there is no other area in my life where I don't feel successful if people don't pay attention to me And that is the headspace that I find social media and marketing can pull me into really easily, Mm. where you put all this time and energy into something and you put it out there and then it's just cricket. So you're like, oh, now I feel really stink. No one likes my stuff. Like no one's paying me attention. And it's like, that's not who I want to be in the world. And Mm. that's not who I am in any other aspect of my life. But just that social media gratification, dopamine hit of people hitting like and the financial reality of if you want to make your business work, people have to see your stuff and Mm. respond to it and share it. And that's how you fill your classes and workshops. And I've really had to, I've asked a lot of guests around it and I have to notice my own thinking when I'm doing this stuff and when it's time to just go and take a walk and consciously not look at my phone for the rest of the afternoon. So I'd love to hear your take on it. Yeah, look, I think it it is hard putting yourself out there. And I know, you know, I do this stuff for a living and I find it really challenging. 
it's so much easier for me to market and promote other people. Maybe that's a strategy. We all just need to hire a PR person and just delegate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or just do each other's marketing. Mm. Yeah, 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 Skillshare. Yeah, yeah, that has crossed my mind. Yeah, look, it's really hard. And I think the way I look at it is if I put stuff out there and I get nothing back, to me it's a message that I need to change my approach. So I'm either not reaching my audience, I'm not kind of reaching my tribe or... It could be something to do with my message. So I, let me go back a step. When I talk about reaching my tribe, it's it's either that I don't have clarity on who my audience is, which is really important. As It's the first thing I do with people as a marketer is I say, who's your audience? Because that's critical. That's where everything starts. So it, it kind of starts there. And then it's around making sure that my message is correct and that my language is really clear and I'm really clear on who I am and who and what I have to offer as a teacher and my point of difference because if you think about it you could have 200 yoga teachers in a room and how would anyone know which yoga teacher is right for them so it's up to each individual yoga teacher to understand what's my point of difference what makes me me how am I different to the next teacher and then how do I communicate that? So these are really, they're really critical skills, but they're skills that I think most teacher trainings don't teach. And I think that people wouldn't even consider if they weren't in that world. And I've often had conversations with teachers and, and even small business owners, and it's just not the sort of thing that they think about, but it's so important. And things like copy are really important. So the language that you use, you can change one line in an advert and it will change people's behavior and they'll engage with you more. Or So it, it's so much about what you're putting out there, how you're doing it, and if you're doing it in the right way in, and in the right place, in the right channel. People often say to me, what, you know, what social media channel should I use? Or they put themselves on all social media channels. And I look at big organizations and I've worked in big organizations where you have one person for one channel and another person for another channel, or you've got someone solely dedicated to social, you know, small business owners, we don't have time to do that. So I always say, choose one channel and do it really well. But it is, it's frustrating and, and it takes time and then, you know, you get used to it and then Facebook changes the algorithm and then you have to change what you do again and, you know, it's getting harder and harder to reach people because there is so much noise out there. So, yeah, I think you make a really valid point around being really clear that your self-worth is not tied up in what you're getting back from social media and and I think it's really important that people check in with themselves because it's not a reflection of you as an individual it might just be a reflection of some of your marketing tactics. yeah yeah oh yeah. oh yeah my audience isn't online at 11 o'clock on Thursday night yeah like, exactly yeah. yeah so you've given a really good summary already but is there like a standout thing like a standout kind of I guess mistake is the word mm -hmm. or misuse of energy that you notice a lot of teachers doing with their marketing? I think they don't get clear on who their audience is. Because once you know who your audience is, lots of people, if I, I've done workshops with yoga teachers and I was going back and doing some business skills with the Academy of Yoga Learning after I finished my training and I'd say to teachers, okay, who's your audience? And they'd say, anyone who likes yoga. And I'd say, no, <laughs> that is not your audience. So, and often I found that people's audience is someone's audience is really who they were at the start of their yoga journey. Mm -hmm. I look at my audience 
and it was me 10 years ago. So it's, I think, kind of start with that and think about who you want to work with, you know, and what you have to offer and build your business around them. So if you if you build your business around your customer, I think, you know, most people will do really well. And I yeah. think that's great as well, because that is authentically sharing how yoga has helped you in your life. Mm. It's not like some handstand on the beach at sunset mm. aspiration. It's like, oh, this is what I love about this practice. This is what I know. This is what I've learned. Like, this is what I'm here to share. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And not trying to be anything that you're not, you know, and I, I say to my students, I don't do headstand. I don't teach headstand. Um, most people I know can't stand on their own two feet properly, you know, so why would I put them on their head? You know, I look at myself and the challenges I've had with my back. And so there's a lot of stuff that I don't do, but I'm really transparent about that. And I say, if, if that's the kind of yoga you want, then I'm probably not your teacher. And I think a lot of teachers try to get people that aren't their students. And when I look back at the start of my yoga journey. I was into power yoga. I was into hot yoga. I was into all of that stuff. And I'm a, what I call a recovering type A personality. And that was the worst thing for me. The game changer for me was slowing my practice down. And that's where my SI joint was such a blessing. And I worked with a teacher, Caroline Stewart. She was what, she was the anatomy teacher on my training. She was amazing because she was doing a study on SI joint and she wanted guinea pigs. So I was working with her. Yeah, it was such a blessing. And she gave me this practice and it was so slow. It was so slow. And I thought, oh my God, I can't do this. This is going to be agony. It was so difficult for me to get quiet and sit still. And it was the best thing that ever happened. And it transformed my practice. But if I was to, the way I teach, if I was to now go out and try and attract those people who are into the hot yoga, who are into the power, they would come to my class. They wouldn't like my class. They'd probably leave after 10 minutes. So it's about kind of recognizing who's going to benefit from your class and not trying to, I would love to say to Taipei's, slow your practice down. That's where the gold is, but they've got to work that out in their own time. So I can imagine how being that driven and that ambitious and that goal focused mm. would be really helpful in the marketing world. Yeah. As your practice changed and you learned to slow down, did mm. you notice like a shift in your work life and in the rest of your life? Yeah. Yeah. And I find it increasingly difficult to be in that world now. Just it's, looking around like it's not worth getting stressed about, guys. Yeah. Yeah. I see that so often, you know, and I, I find myself in meetings going, it's not important. It's really not important. And I remember when I was doing my teacher training, I'd be sitting in board meetings and I'd be talking to people and going, how are you? No, really, how are you? And trying to cut through all that corporate speak and, and just wanting to kind of connect with people. So yeah, it's really changed. It's changed the way I do business. And I, I remember listening to Sean Korn and she was saying, the world doesn't need more yoga teachers. It needs more yogis to go out into the world and do regular jobs and to bring their yoga into that environment. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. That said, my goal is to work full time in yoga. And this is one thing that I would say to a lot of yoga teachers. 
is I think some people study and then they quit their jobs and then they try and build a living as a yoga teacher. And I'm sure, as you guys know, running a small business, it takes a really long time to build up. And I've said to people before, stay in your job part time, keep that security, keep that foundation until your business gets to a level that you can transition. The thing I've noticed as well, especially going from even a tiny studio to a slightly bigger studio, the more that you want yoga to be your full-time work, the more other stuff you have to do that's not actually yoga. Mm -hmm. So you have to do more admin, you have to do more marketing, you just have to do all of this other stuff that actually fills up quite a lot of your day. So I think if all you want to do is teach yoga, keep a day job and then teach a few classes a week and you can just purely teach yoga. But if you want to do it full time, then expect to, you know, also do a lot of admin, a lot of social media and a lot of like that other random stuff. Yeah. And a lot of traveling from place to place, even if you have your own studio. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. That's exactly how it is. And I think that surprises a lot of people. I think they're going to spend all their time. I think they think they're going to spend all their time teaching and teaching actually ends up becoming a small part of it. And you can spend a lot of your time behind a desk doing all those things you just talked about. Not that I'm like having a whinge about it or anything. (laughs) (laughs) So perhaps we could switch back to Yoga Australia. You might have touched on this already, but what were your primary reasons for taking on the role of president? It was definitely an honour to be asked. And I think I could see how I could use my business skills to serve the organisation. And I could see some things that we could implement that would make some really big changes. And I was also really passionate about teaching standards and I was passionate about what the organisation was doing and really raising awareness of what the organisation was doing. So yeah, they were the primary reasons. I could see that I could add some value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what do you think were your biggest challenges? The biggest challenge I had... So I guess there's my personal challenges and then the challenges for Yoga Australia. The first thing I noticed, and it was the first big change that I made, was so much was coming to the president that I was kind of going, why is the president and why are the board doing all of this work when we have a paid central office? So one of the things that we introduced was we changed Sham's role from GM to CEO because she was absolutely more than capable of doing that and she was incredible. And I, and I thought she needs more autonomy. She needs to be allowed to get on with running the association. The role of the board is to direct and steer and ensure the sustainability of the organisation. But the day-to-day running really needed to be done by the office and, and the paid staff. So it was a real challenge. I remember ringing Lee up when I started and just going, this is overwhelming because it was a volunteer role and there was so much. So it was, it was very overwhelming to start with the sheer, yeah, the sheer workload. So that was one of my personal challenges. And that's why I made that, that change in the office. And then I was listening to Michael Domanicor's interview and, and I would echo much of what he said around the challenges with resources, the agenda that the organisation had and still has today, and really the, the barriers in terms of resources and budget. And it's, it's an ongoing issue for a not-for-profit that has one source of income. They were really kind of the biggest, the biggest challenges. And I know that the board, you know, Michael spoke about this as well. The board works so hard 
all the volunteers work so hard. It's, it's, it's run, really. If the volunteers weren't there, I don't think the organisation would survive. It really survives on the people that support it and the extra work, how Sham and the team go above and beyond, really, to, to do the work that needs to so be done. So even the paid staff put in quite a bit of volunteer time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think yeah. one thing we've learned from doing these interviews is that it really is a grassroots organisation that mm. relies on the volunteers, which I think is actually a great thing to see that you know, such an organisation exists and it is a part of yoga in mm. this country. Hey folks, it's Joe here, just popping in to tell you a bit more about my mini obsession, the Makalu. The Makalu is like a beautiful little lotus sculpture with three snugly nesting domes magnetised to a spotted gum hardwood base. It's designed and sustainably produced here in Australia and even won the Australian Good Design Award. One of the things I love is how it's been uniquely designed to make movement more accessible to different populations with specific needs. The three domes are different sizes and textures, so designed to work to stimulate the nerves and the intrinsic muscles of the hands and the feet in different ways. So it's perfect for rehabilitation or working with different neurological conditions, especially since you can add more weight and more challenge as people progress. You can also use the base as a slider, which means I can bring in a lot of the footwork that I'd usually give people standing or on the Pilates reformer into a chair yoga practice. The different shaped domes are also magnetised, so you can stick them to your fridge or any metal surface, which means that people in wheelchairs or anyone who has trouble getting down on the ground can access some of those beautiful self-massage techniques that feel so good on the floor. They can just do them on the wall. I love how Carla and the team from Markaloo are super open to new ideas and sharing the different movement techniques that are discovered as people work creatively with different populations. And we'll be talking to her about all of this in our episode next week. If you just want to get started, head to markaloo.com and use our discount code MACFLOW, which is all capitals, M-A-K-F-L-O-W, to get 5% off and just head to the show notes for the link. Can I ask about your personal challenges? Mm. How did that affect you personally, you kind of being part of something that you really love and really believe in, but being under quite a lot of pressure as well and... Yeah. Some things that you can't change, like the amount of money coming in at that time. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was really about learning to manage my time and, and juggling all of that. And it took me a while to, to kind of get my head around that and, and redirect some things. So yeah, the, the challenges for me were, and that was when I started to realise how much I was doing... I was living beyond my means in terms of my energy. I'd already suffered burnout once in the corporate world and I started to realise that I was just doing way more than I actually had time to do. So it was having to kind of renegotiate some things with my work and, and be really clear on my boundaries with the organisation and put some things in place around, okay, well, this is my day for Yoga Australia. And I even put on my email signature, I'm available for Yoga Australia on these days because otherwise everything was just becoming a big blur, you know. So it was it was kind of my first lesson in boundaries, which I'm now incredibly passionate about. It's one of my favourite topics. You know, it, it's critical to self-care, critical to self-care. So, yeah, I had to be really clear about that and that helped enormously. And I think that's a great example to set 
because that is something that I think ties in with the yoga business stuff we've spoken about already. When you're really passionate about something Mm. and you're your own boss, you write your own to-do list, a lot of people burn themselves out doing something they love that they're really passionate about just because they don't have that perspective to step out of the busyness and kind of set some boundaries and set up a bit of a framework for themselves. Yeah, and it's it's hard. It's really hard when it's a, a passion and you love doing it. But I had to come to terms with, you know, there's things I want to do and there's things I can do and I can't do everything. So I had to get really focused about kind of what was what was important and how to manage my time. And, you know, the big part of that was learning to say no to people and pushing back and being really clear on what my responsibilities were. And and also when you change things and things have been done the same way for a while, it's hard for people to kind of adapt to that, you know. So it took a long time for that message to get through around, no, that needs to go to the office, no, that needs to go to the office. And and Sham was great because <laughs> she, she stepped into that role and she picked it up and she ran with it. I guess that's that thing as well where if it's just something little, you were like, oh, let me just sort this out now really quickly, but it's actually a few more steps to like retrain the new protocol but over time yeah. you just have to do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and th- and it's sitting with the discomfort of that as well. This might come out of what we've just been talking about, but what were your greatest successes as president of Yoga Australia? I think probably I was really happy with that shift, making that shift, albeit in part it was for, so, I guess, some selfish reasons to manage my own time. But really the primary driver other than that was the sustainability of the board and the people within the organisation and making it really clear that, you know, if it doesn't get done, it doesn't get done and it's okay. One of the things we did was we changed the website and I'm really proud of that. So Sean was telling me that the renewals process at the time was being done manually and it could take up to three months. And I was thinking, yeah, and I was thinking this is not effective use of the office's time. So we updated the website to include automatic renewals and so that, yeah, members could renew online. And so that completely transformed the renewals process, freed up the office to take on more of the other things that they needed to be doing so they weren't bogged down in these renewals every year. And I think the website really kind of lifted the brand and gave a new face to the organisation as well. So, yeah, that was one of the the big things that, that I'm proud of. And also we brought in a marketing manager, Phoebe, who was fantastic because I was really aware of, there was a lot of people sort of going, well, what does Yoga Australia do for me? And so I thought, okay, well, there's a breakdown in communication. If if they're asking that question, they don't know what the organisation does and we need to make that clearer. So we have a marketing problem here. So we brought in a marketing person to really start driving that communication and being more proactive and, and looking at, okay, how can we engage the yoga community? Because I think the market share at that time, it might have been, I feel like it was 25% and now I think it's about 30%. You know, we need to build that market share because we rely on members' income. So, yeah, bringing on the marketing manager was great and you know, I think that was a great move for the organisation. And then also that PR work that we did, okay, it didn't quite hit the mark where we wanted it to hit, but I think it was it was a good start. We were, we were still getting the brand out there and saying to people, 
here's Yoga Australia and here's what we do, which I think, again, was great for the organisation. And a fee increase. We also introduced a fee increase as well that I think... I think there was some fear around that, you know, especially with people questioning what the organisation does for them and then you put the fee up. But we did, I I think from memory, we did the website first and we communicated a lot about some things that were changing in the organisation and then we put the fee up to kind of say, look, this is what's happening, stay with us. And then we, we did the fee increase. I can imagine saving three months on on your application time. I think that's worth a small fee increase. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! And could you imagine just showing up for work every day for three months to just process membership applications? Mm. Like I would dread that every year, just like the dark depths of winter and the membership renewals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a real. I think it was a real. It would have been really frustrating for the office. And a real barrier, I think, for, for members and, and to people becoming members because of having to do all that paperwork. And I, I just thought if you automate it and it's a click of a button, it's it's going to make life so much easier for people and, and remove that frustration because I'm always about in my role as a marketer, I'm always about the customer experience. And I was like, this is not a great customer experience. They're going to go, if we don't make it easy for them, they'll go somewhere where it is. Yeah, or that envelope will just sit on the bench for like three weeks because mm. you have to go to the post office and post it and then you just forget about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so are you still connected with Yoga Australia? I am, yes, probably not as much as I would perhaps like to be. But yes, I'm still a member and I will always keep my membership. And, you know, I keep in touch with people, the sort of what I call the usual suspects. So (laughs) Sharm and I spoke yesterday and said we're long overdue for a coffee. And of course, Lee and yeah, yeah. So there is, there's a connection there. And so many of the people that I worked with within the organization were connected to the same training that I did. So I always bump into people at retreats and things like that, and which is which is really nice, yeah. What do you feel are the biggest challenges for Yoga Australia moving forward? I think probably that issue of what the organization wants to achieve and, you know, with the the issues around resourcing and budget, I think that public awareness as well. I'd really like to see, and I know they're doing more in that space. And I I think it's great that Leanne is involved in the health insurance alternative health review, which is fantastic. There's no better person to be doing that. I think they're probably the biggest challenges and, and evolving to meet the needs of the industry as it evolves, because I think it's very early days for yoga in the West. And I think it's going to keep shifting and changing and evolving. I think the industry will. And I think the challenges of yoga teachers will, you know, we've already spoken about, it's not really just enough to be a yoga teacher. If you want to work for yourself, you need all these other skill sets. So they're probably kind of the biggest challenges I would see for the organization and and keeping engaging the other 70% of the market and trying to get them on board and increasing their revenue so they can do more of the things that they want to do. Let's explore into that a little bit more. What are the greatest challenges that you see for individual yoga teachers today and in the future and how can Yoga Australia support them through that? Yeah, I think the biggest challenges are making a living, doing what they love and learning those skills to support them in making a living, developing those business skills, the marketing, the business admin, the budgeting, 
learning all of those kind of basic business skills and looking at, even if you look at marketing on its own, it's about learning about the different platforms and what what the right ones are to use and learning how to write and develop your communication skills from a marketing perspective and your relationship with money. So it's all those sorts of challenges that I think yoga teachers have. And I think Yoga Australia is already starting to do things around that. You know, they're running courses on the business of yoga and they're engaging different people to run workshops and things like that, that I think is really, really good. So I think it's a great platform for professional development and helping yoga teachers develop the skills that they need to make a career out of yoga. And I think it's possible, but I think you've got to be creative. I guess as well, the nice thing that Yoga Australia can do is They will teach people the skills, but just going to that day will help people build their network in the way that if, say, you just did a random like online, let me get better at social media marketing course that you just do on your computer at home, that's not actually for yoga teachers as such. So that in-person get-together experience I always find is the most useful and enjoyable part of workshops like that. Yeah, I think we have so much to learn from each other, right? It's it's so important and I would much rather work that way than be stuck at home behind a computer. You get a bunch of people together in a room and, you know, each person in that room will have something to offer and something that they've learned about running their own business and, you know, they can share that because there's, there's enough out there, there's enough of a market for all of us. It's just about how you market yourself and, yeah, sharing those skills and, and learnings. I think another challenge that teachers have in this social media realm is everyone looks so successful online. So when you actually (laughs) connect to other people and hear that they're having similar struggles or different struggles that you can help them with and then you get that energy exchange, like that's really heartening as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, supporting each other and especially when you go through times when it's tough and you feel disheartened and fed up and, you know, you're marketing yourself and you're getting crickets and you think, what am I doing? How do I put a positive spin on this? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of supporting each other, there's been talk in the United States around unionizing, particularly, I think, with yoga works, Mm -hmm. um, yoga studios. And I'm just sort of curious, do you think that that is a role that Yoga Australia could or does take part in, I guess? Yes, they kind of do, don't they? Mm. What are they What are they talking about in the States? What are they saying that will kind of look like? One of the things they raised is that this particular studio, some teachers were getting paid $30 for their hour class, some teachers are getting paid $100 for the same class, and it didn't seem to be based on qualification or amount of time they'd worked for the organisation or anything that anyone could put an actual figure on. Mm. It seemed really random. Yeah. And I think once all of the teachers realised that, they wanted to get together and get some kind of transparency or at least Mm. structure Mm. to their pay. Yeah, yeah. I think Yoga Australia is already doing that kind of thing. They they make recommendations about different pay levels and what to expect and from the public's perspective, what to expect to pay a teacher and as a teacher, what you can expect to earn depending on your level of experience. So there's guidelines around that. And I think they really, and I, I think this is one of the things that teachers who aren't members miss, that Yoga Australia really advocates for teachers and has their back. And I I totally understand where they come from when they say, you know, what's Yoga Australia doing for me? 
And that's kind of a communication issue because Yoga Australia does so much for them. But also I think if they can ask, how can I support the growth of my industry as well? And I've often said to people, it's one of the main things that I go to, you know, I talk about professional development that Yoga Australia does and uh, there's the insurance and there's the benefits and the Sangha. But I also talk about if you got sued by a student, who would have your back? Yoga Australia. If you get into an issue with a studio that you're working for, who would you be able to talk to? Yoga Australia. If you run a studio and you have an issue with an employee, it's Yoga Australia that can help you with that. So it's all that kind of support and knowing that Yoga Australia are advocating on your behalf as well. So I think they're already doing a lot of that sort of stuff. They're a body that really were put together by people from within the yoga community to support the yoga community. So where do you see Yoga Australia being in the next 10 to 20 years? That's a good question. I would like to see them expanding. You know, I would like to see them. And in terms of expansion, I I mean really grasping more of the market share and being much more of a household name. And I've often said this, and I don't like saying it, but it might take, you know, the way things work, it might be that someone gets hurt in a yoga studio and then the media or someone in the public or a political figure will say, well, we need to start talking about the regulation of yoga, you know, or we need to start asking about standards or we need to start having more of this conversation. And that conversation is probably happening behind the scenes, but it's not happening publicly. So I would like to see, yeah, more public awareness of Yoga Australia. I'd like to see that growth and in turn people asking questions about their yoga teacher and what is it and, you know, are you qualified and how much training did you do and and that understanding around, you know, a 200-hour trained teacher versus an 1,100-hour trained teacher. And I'm not saying either is good or bad. You can get 200-hour teachers that are fabulous And, you know, 1100 hour teachers that aren't as fabulous as someone that's got 200 hours, you know, 1100 hour teachers that haven't actually taught a class yet. Yeah, because they're just going to lots of trainings. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'd like to see more of those kind of conversations happening with Yoga Australia and and see the organization grow and expand so that they get the resources that they need. They get other streams of income coming through and really sort of building their profile. And as Sharma and I spoke about yesterday, blowing their own trumpet a little bit more. So um, as well as being a yoga teacher and a marketer, you're also the prolific writer. Would you like to talk about that? I love writing, you know, for, for the blog and and I, I enjoy it. And it's a way, often it's a way for me to process things and it's a way to share what I'm learning on my own kind of journey and my own experiences and I find that writing yeah it helps me process what I'm learning and also what I'm experiencing so yeah I really enjoy it and I think one of the issues I have about a lot of social media advertising or social media and yoga teachers is when yoga teachers not even yoga teachers people in general just show the good bits of their life you know and life is bumpy and messy and hard at times. And, you know, I think it's important to show that. So one of the things that I try to do is talk about what it's like to be a messy, complicated human being and share some of that and show people that it's not all 
love and light. And, and sometimes I personally sometimes find the spiritual path incredibly challenging and uncomfortable and I wouldn't have it any other way. But yeah, to me, it's not all about love and light. And I really want to kind of open up that conversation. And I remember when I broke my wrist and I took a photo of how I'd adapted my downward dog, because I thought I want people to see that, you know, that it's not all perfect and there isn't anything that's perfect, you know, it's perfectly imperfect. And I think that message has, has got to get out there and move away from that kind of everything's rosy, everything's perfect and that sort of perfectionism that a lot of people pursue. So, yeah, that's what I try to do. And I think that is definitely a challenge for some people expressing themselves online because I think some people even feel like they're a bit of a failure as a yoga teacher, if they get angry at someone or if they had a bad day or if they're just not feeling fabulous all the time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And um, I think there is that perception. Or if they get sick or hurt themselves. Yeah, yeah. People are like, oh, but you're a yoga teacher. I thought you really took care of yourself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm also a human being. And I think it's about giving ourselves permission to be human and to experience all that that entails and anger is natural there's no bad emotions and to me the practice is about welcoming everything that arises and and thanking it you know anger is a messenger to me and yeah trying to get that message across to people that it's okay to feel anger and I often talk about this in in my workshops because I think sometimes there's especially for women there's this thing about, you know, I'm female, I can't get angry or I shouldn't be angry or I shouldn't be upset or, you know, we should ourselves all the time. And I think it's fine to be angry. You're a human being. It's a perfectly natural emotion. There's nothing wrong with you for having, and I'm using, you know, quotation marks here, for having a negative emotion. To me, there are no negative emotions. There's just emotions. Some are uncomfortable but I don't like to label them negative. And I think it's important to kind of have that conversation with people. And I think there's equally barriers with guys, you know, and I was reading an article yesterday in a magazine. I was waiting to see my osteo and just picked up, I think it was Marie Claire or something. And there was these people in there talking about their fears. And one guy in there said he was afraid of his emotions you know, so I think there's that sort of thing that the, some of the challenges that men face around, oh, I can't cry or, you know, I can't show emotion. And, and I think we've got to kind of open all of that up. And I think that's happening already, you know, that it's OK to feel all those things and they're not wrong and it's part of being human. So this is like a long picture view that mm. you've kind of spoken about your early life in like representation and advertising and marketing and just from an outside view that world seems all about putting a positive spin on things and mm. then your journey through yoga and slowing down and becoming more reflective. Do you think that you're writing now? It's almost like the flip side of the things that you used to have to write in your past for work and now it's a lot more personal and a lot more about processing your own stuff and a lot more exploring the less shiny side Mm. of life. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I ran a course recently for people that were, it was all around kind of avoiding burnout and managing stress. And I covered mindfulness and I covered meditation and I talked about eye rest and relaxation, the importance of relaxation as a formal practice and did things like, you know, managing emotions and triggers and boundaries, my favorite topic. And 
when I asked for feedback from the students, one of them said, I feel like you give me permission to be human. And I thought, wonderful. That's what I, that's what I want to do with my blog, with all of my work and, and help people to be more self-accepting. You know, I used to be so hard on myself and I used to push myself. I was push, 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 go, 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 really driven. And then I heard this great quote about, it was more of a prayer really about allow me or help me to use that drive and ambition in every area of my life rather than just one you know, because I was all career and pushing down that path. And then I learned how to be more in a space of being. And that's what we're here for. And I think and when I sat down and looked at my definition of success, because we have this thing in our society about, you know, I've got to be successful. Well, what does successful mean to, to you as an individual? And when I sat down and looked at what success meant to me, there wasn't anything on there about drive, ambition, achievement. It was more about being. It was more about how I wanted to feel and connection and all of those things. And I went, well, I need to make some changes in my life, you know, and I think it's important to reflect on that and ask those questions. And I guess it's something that evolves through your life as well. Like Mm. your definition of success when you're just starting out in the work world is going to be so different to when you're getting, you know, more established or when you reach a bit of a crossroads. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really good point. And I think it's really good to check in with your values and your motivations throughout your life. Because I know for me, so many things have shifted since I did my training. You know, we're constantly shifting and changing and evolving and and I think it's important to keep that self-inquiry going. I think it's it's such a big part. I know it's a big part of my own practice. And I guess as well, like it's not a failure if your goals change or if you realise that thing that you're working towards isn't important anymore. I think yeah. some people, sometimes people get a bit fixated in that. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important to define your own means of success and failure. And it's kind of about letting go of who you think you have to be. And and I remember saying to someone, it was a few years ago, and I went, damn it, you know, I spent years trying to create the person I had to be. And now the spiritual journey is just guiding me to let go of all of that and be who I actually am. (laughs) I put all this work in. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I was like, and now I've got to deconstruct it all, you know. Yeah, it's kind of been like a big unraveling. We could have already been discussing this, but I guess if you could distill everything that you've learned and everything that you teach down to one core essence, Mm -hmm. what do you think that one thing would be? Self-care. Self-love, self-care, self-acceptance. That's three. All kind of, all <laughs> three kind of connected. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, that connection with yourself and, and living life from the inside out. I was kind of living life from the outside in, you know. Um, and I think life from the inside out, being connected to who you are as a person and what matters to you. And and I was reflecting on on this question previously and and I think it's it's the same with the business as well it's about focusing on what is important to you what matters to you and being really clear and you know I spent so much time trying to do way too much and I think and especially in today's age it's it's just about sort of yeah being really clear on what matters to you what's important to you and and following following that you know that thinking about, well, how does life want to express through me and bringing that 
out into the world and really taking care of yourself and giving yourself permission to to be human and all that that entails and yeah giving yourself permission to take care of yourself and recognizing that you know you're not responsible for everything and everyone and and that we're all equal and that includes you as an individual you're just as important as the next person and and recognizing that yeah I think that's a message we all need Mm. to be reminded of yeah yeah and how precious we are and how precious life is well Thank you yeah, so, thank so, you so much. much. What a, a wonderful note to finish on as yeah. well. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been, been a really nice chat. And that was our conversation with Claire. As I mentioned at the start, we asked her a bonus question that you can find on our Patreon page. And it was a question on training paralysis. I know there's people out there who've done lots of yoga teacher trainings, but they're still not sure about jumping in to teach. And we asked Claire that question and she's got some great answers. So go to our Patreon page and have a listen to that. Now, as Joe mentioned earlier, our next episode isn't in interview with Carla Mullins, co-creator of the Markaloo Lotus. It's also our final episode for the year. I've been putting out an episode every week for the last two months and boy am I looking forward to a break. It's a great conversation and we learned about all the effort that it takes to bring a product like the Markaloo to market and boy it's a lot. It's put me off any aspirations I might have had in that area to tell the truth. So look out for our conversation with Carla next Monday. As always, our theme song is Baby Robots by Ghost Soul and is used with permission. Get us music from ghostsoul.bandcamp.com. Joe and I wish to honour the elders of these wisdom traditions of yoga and meditation and we would like to honour the traditional owners of the land where our podcast is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. The Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Thank you so, so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Aroha nui. Big, big love. <laughs>